Good morning, and welcome back to Dance Dorothy Dance, the Dorothy Arzner podcast. Uh, my name is B. Peterson. I am your host, and with me, as always, is Mark Edward Hoyk. Uh, I am uh, I am the adoring McMahon to your Carson. All right, uh, I'm 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 eventually going to have to start getting these references you make. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gee, oh, thir- 30 years, what does it matter in the greater scheme of things? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, this is this is the Patreon-exclusive podcast where we uh, talk about the films of Dorothy Arzner, the lone woman to work in 30s Hollywood, and wouldn't you know it, she also was a queer. So, um, yeah, and uh, this episode we're talking about um, one of her uh, films that she made post her Paramount days, um, we're back to we're back to her freelancing work. Um, and initially, I will say is that on the last episode, we did say that we were going to be doing Working Girls, uh, her 1931 film. Uh, that ended up our avenue of seeing that film uh, fell through. And so we this is the other one that we could see. And so we are now watching. We are going to be watching Craig's Wife. Um, but before we get to Craig's Wife, I wanted to. um make a make a make it a point to announce that i have finally seen after after much much build up um uh jacques cocteau's uh la belle et la bête the beauty and the beast and i gotta say that's a really good movie <laughs> oh yeah um you know i've yeah i have only seen it in uh, bits and pieces over the years, I I, uh, I had the unique privilege of projecting it uh, when I uh, worked at the New Art in West LA. There was a uh, a major reissue of it in uh, the late the late noughts, and I remember. But I specifically remember the fact that as a film obsessed kid, uh, there was a a magazine put out for tweeners uh, called Dynamite, uh, and th- there were, there were lots of uh, great magazines like this geared specifically for you know anyone from like you know third grade to like you know uh, uh, juniors in in high school you know that that in between period. Uh, D- Dynamite was published by Scholastic Publications and. Uh, Marvel had a similar one called Pizzazz. Uh, uh, the Children's Television Workshop had uh, a magazine for the Electric Company that was in the same vein, and you know these were mag- the these were kind of addressing the fact that as as a tweener, you knew adult culture existed, but you weren't quite ready for all of it. So it presented as much of it as you were already ready for. And did uh, you know interviews interviews with uh, movie stars and such, and they were particularly interesting. And I think it's a lost art in that you would have these movie star interviews where they're answering the kinds of questions that kids would be asking, and in a sense, you're getting really neat and more honest insight into them as people. Than you do from you know even like the most in-depth Vanity Fair interview because they know who their audience is and you know you you, you, you know you can't you can't you know be cynical <laughs> yeah yeah you're you're gonna you know a kid you're gonna give a kid a straight answer you know that that maybe you're maybe you're not gonna give up on a lot of your personal life but if you're gonna say if the kid says uh, do you have kids and you know it's like oh yeah you know I do and we do this as a family and yeah it's hard to do this but you know we make it work but anyhow dynamite put out like a side book of movie recommendations and so and one of the things they had in there was beauty and the beast and this was, and I need, I have desp- I am I am in Cincinnati right now. I know I have this book somewhere in my things. I have been desperately trying to find it because some of the recommendations they had in that book were amazing. And I was always struck by the fact that you know that they recognized that the the Cocteau Beauty and the Beast is a you know a groundbreaking and still gorgeous 
atmospheric film and uh, court, uh, you know, a good gateway drug. Right. Yeah, and atmospheric is the perfect word for it because the the I the when after watching it, my reaction to it was is like you know what this movie is because I'm not gonna call it the greatest movie ever made. I think that like there's there's a couple narrative issues specifically towards the end. There's like, oh well that was resolved real freaking quickly. Um but I think but what it what it has in spades is aesthetic and atmosphere and it is just filled to the brim with um with you are there in this fantastical world. This is a fairy tale, and it and it and it and it revels in that. And so my reaction to it was: is this is a college dorm room poster movie? Like it's 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 your Pulp Fiction, it's your it's your Reservoir Dogs, it's your Fight Club, it's your Matrix. It's like I'm gonna put that poster on my wall because the aesthetic says it all, kind of thing, and. <laughs> And I put that not just because that is what it is, but I also use that word very specifically as in dorm. This is a this is a college dorm room poster movie because I am not a movie memorabilia type of person. It's not really my stock and trade. I'd rather just have the movies than like, you know, a replica of a prop or that kind of thing. Like those, they just kind of take up space for me. However... Earlier this year, I came across something that I could not pass up. And so I'm showing this to you, Mark. Um, but um, so the listeners will not be able to see it. But once it's all framed and everything, then I will show it on like the Twitter and everything. But I have here, I made a purchase. And this is the Japanese release poster for Beauty and the Beast. John Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast. And it is 75 years old. Hmm. This is mint condition. Oh, that is a thing of beauty. Isn't it? It is yeah. just... It's just gorgeous. And I, I was at this vintage poster thing, and there was just all these older posters, right? You know, I showed some on Twitter. Like, there was a seven, 70s Italian re-release of A Hard Day's Night. Um, some of the original posters for Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, a, b- a bunch of stuff, but as soon as I was going through his, uh, and I saw this, I saw this poster. I was like, "Hold on, is that Cocteau Beauty and the Beast?" And it's like, "But that's like that's from '46. That's in mid condition." And I'm like, "You know what? I think I'm gonna get it." And so I got it. And so I find, but I hadn't seen the movie, and now I've finally seen the movie, and it it lives up to the poster. <laughs> anyway. So I just wanted to to open the podcast, but it's like now that I've seen the movie, I can finally I finally feel justified in having this poster, and it's like ah yes, the the thing it it lives up to it anyway. Yeah, that 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 sometimes you have uh, films that have wonderful posters or really dynamite trailers or promotional material, and they don't mm-hmm. live up to to it. But that that one definitely delivers the goods and i just want to say um in on the subject of cocteau uh someone i'm not that versed in but just enough to mm-hmm. to sound smarter than people at dinner parties <laughs> yeah uh my friend my friend tim lucas once said not not the video watchdog tim lucas this is a, a comedian named tim lucas and i have both of them on my facebook and so every now and then there's a little mix up between them uh but he said you don't have to know everything you just have to know the first thing about everything so that if someone starts yeah. a topic if you have one uh piece of useful information about that topic to chime in with you sound like you can you know participate in the remainder of the conversation and people will (laughs) fill in the remaining details for you but i want to say that uh every every goth in the world owes a tremendous debt to cocteau and specifically to maria casaris playing the princess death in his adaptation of Orphe. 
Yeah, I was gonna say it's like goth. If yeah, the the image of of the of of death in in that film is just like the eyeliner, the the cloak around the the black everything. It's just there you go. You know, <laughs> decades before Lily Munster or Morticia Adams. So, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, enough about men. Um, <laughs> even the soft men. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, this is, this is Craig's wife and, uh, it's a 1936 film made by Columbia Pictures and it stars Rosalind Russell and John Bowles as, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Craig, oh shoot, what's their last name? I forget. Uh, Craig, um, uh, well, Craig is the last name. It's Harriet and Walter. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So Mr. and Mrs. Uh, uh, Walter Craig and, and we've got Harriet Craig and it's a film about... Well, it doesn't really let you know in the first few minutes. This is based on a play, um, as is a lot of, of Arzner's films are. And I'm assuming it's interesting because nowadays people, like, a lot of films are remakes of other films. And, I mean, that's been a thing since the Donna Donna Cinema. But it seems like that back then, the most of the material that people were mining when it came to adaptations was other was, was plays, was, was uh, theater. And it's just, it's something... I've noticed while going through these through these uh, uh, films is that theater adaptations aren't nearly as common anymore, and that's just anyway that's just an observation I have. But this is an adaptation of the play of the same name. There was a 1928 silent version, um, and funnily enough, Joan Crawford, uh, Dorothy Arzner collaborator, would go on to make a remake of this called Harriet Craig in 1950. Um, but yeah, this is the story of Mr. and Mrs. Craig, and specifically Harriet Harriet Craig's uh, uh, control over everything, which becomes undone. Yes, uh, yes. To to put it nicely, Harriet Craig is a control freak, mm-hmm. <laughs> and is and I and I think. I, I don't know if people looking at it through a modern lens would say she is obsessive compulsive. I do not believe she is because this is not she is making willful decisions about what she will and will not get upset over in her home, that this is right. all part of a larger notion about presentation and you know we're and this is another arsner film where presentation is you know text and subtext right uh, you know of what of what will the neighbors think you know how, how will people perceive me and harriet harriet craig is obsessed with how others will perceive her because she has such horrible perceptions of the role models that she had as parents. Yeah. And yeah. And specifically she is very fearful of losing um, any sense of independence. Um, her, her thesis statement at the beginning of the film, it ta- we will, we'll discuss the plot in a minute, but, um, but her, but the first time, her first big interaction that we see uh, Harriet having is on a train with her niece um, who is coming home to stay with them. And she basically gives out her her thesis in, in that scene where it's like, look, you seem to be totally infatuated with this young man. Um, uh, but see, the thing is, is that you, that just does, simply doesn't work. And that marriage is, it's, it's a trap. And especially when you have this sense of romance about it. Now, romance or marriage when it when it works best is simply a way for um you to basically have a have a get out of jail free card. I've I've got this person who can support me and who can let me do everything I want, um but it but I'm I don't love him or at least not in the sense I love him as a as a resource essentially and that I I need to maintain my independence I need to make sure that I can do things as I please that that is what is most important in a marriage or at least in my life is that I need to have this total control over my own agency as it were and yeah and then 
and then everything the rest of the film is about how uh how that could backfire when you let when you let it go to your head yeah that it that craig's wife is a movie about attrition that one by one she is going to lose practically every tether she has to humanity yeah the 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 quote that is given to her towards the beginning of the film is those who live for themselves are left to themselves that's 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 the quote and um and at the beginning of the film she's like well that'd be just fine that's what i'm after i want to be left to myself so i can do as i please and then at the end of the film when she is quite literally left by herself she realizes oh dear no <laughs> i'm alone <laughs> yeah this this was this was a delightful corker of a film oh yes i i, I dare say this this may well be my favorite uh, Dorothy Arzner film. Yeah, yeah maybe even, I think even more so than Dance Girl Dance. Um, and I th- and I think one of the things I love about it is that it ha- and and this is and this is brought up in an essay that I passed on to you uh, by the uh, terrific writer uh, Kim Morgan. Right. Uh, where that that Harriet Craig is this impossible, difficult woman who, and she is the ostensible villain of the piece, but she is never completely hateable. You know, that there is, that you want, you want her to, you know, you know, get some, you know, get, some religion in terms of recognize you know some self-actualization and realize you know and like okay you're gonna have to learn this lesson the hard way but that you know when it find when it finally comes you you're you're not reveling in her misery you're you know this is when you're actually discovering your your sense of empathy and realizing oh god you really aren't prepared for this are you mm-hmm. that it, it is it, it's genuinely affecting when she a- ends up completely cut off yes yeah, i mean we're, we're kind of just like we're jumping right to the end but i mean it's it's kind of it is this is this is a morality tale of a movie that's that's essentially what this is is that if you let your independence, uh, your your strive for independence and total control of your life go too far that you will end up being alone, that independence will turn into alone and loneliness. And so, and the the various plot machinations are just kind of a way for the, the they're the window dressing for us to, to be able to get this moral tale. Um, so why don't, why don't we just explain the plot at the beginning? The, op- the film doesn't actually open. We spend a good bit, amount of time away from Harriet before we finally meet her. Um, we open the film with, uh, with, uh, Walter Craig and, um, and is it his mother? I believe it's his, uh, his aunt, his mother's passed away. That's right. Yes. His aunt who are staying in the home, Harriet's off visiting, um, her own sister, um, who is ill. Um, but they're at the house and they're saying is like, oh, this is surely terrible that something very hard that she's going through. I'm going out to play poker. Um, it's like, oh, wow, you're actually going to be able to go do something that you want to for once. That's nice. Um, and, and then he, he, there's an interaction, um, outside with, uh, the neighbor, uh, Mrs. Fraser, um, who's got a lovely garden. And anyway, and he goes over to uh, his friend, uh, Mr. Fergus, and instead of finding a bunch of people over there ready to play poker, he instead instead finds Mr. Fergus um, alone and quite distraught um, because all of his buddies have essentially ditched him uh, because they don't like hanging out with him. <laughs> well, they, they there's a little bit of a comic element in that one has called to bow out of the game and... Because his father is in town and they are, you know, going to go clubbing, but right. it sounds like such a patent excuse that, you know, he mm-hmm. thinks that oh, this is another lie. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, and we do see the phone call that the guy is like, the guy calls the house and we see him on the phone. It's like, yes, my father just came into town. And then we pan over to this other guy. just like, oh, yeah, like giggling. It's like, yeah, you tell him or whatever. And then we pan back. It's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I just can't make it. And so, but regardless of whether or not they're lying to get away from him or whether they're generally the, the Fergus is left alone and his wife is going out and he doesn't want his wife to go out, but his wife, um, doesn't simply does not care. Um, she, um, is dressed up to the nines. She's ready to go out. She's going to out with one of her girlfriends, um, for a night at the theater. I'd, I'd, I'd like to point out, uh, the wife is played by Kathleen Burke and, uh, she didn't she didn't do a whole lot of movies but one of the movies she ma- made which is really iconic is that she played uh, Lota the Panther Woman in the the Island of Lost Souls the oh, uh, okay. adaptation of uh, H.G. Wells's Island of Dr. Moreau with uh, Charles okay. Lawton and that that is a you know terrific uh, you know, pr- proto horror film and uh, she's lovely in it and uh, there was I think in the early days of Video Watchdog magazine, there was a whole uh, story of Kathleen Burke and her short-lived career, and there, you know, just all these beautiful photos of her. Uh, very luminous performer, and you should watch as many of her films as you can. But she is so, you know, she she isn't on screen very long, but the, the time that she's on, she just uh, dominates things and. You know, you know, the spoiler alert is she says that she's meeting a girlfriend, but she's actually stepping out with another man. But the way right. that the, that she is you know, engaging with her husband is that, you know, she's going on, you know, a night out with Emily and, and she tells him, run back to your boyfriend. Yes, loved that line. Oh, <laughs> uh, just like, well, alrighty then. Let's just get the queers coding out in the open, shall we? Um, but yeah, this, which goes to say, it, it's like Fergus is feeling incredibly emasculated by by her. It's like everyone is rejecting me, my own wife. I can't even stand up to her. That she just patronizes me. Go back to your boyfriend. It's like, how dare she? I'm going to snap, kind of thing. And which then when and then when we finally cut away to see Harriet, I'm like, I'm sorry, but I kind of got confused. It's like, hold on. So what was all that for? Are we even going to go back to those characters? And it turns out that um, what happens is that Mr. Fergus, this is all off screen, but kills her and then himself. And this is the uh, this is the thing that sets off the the plot, if you will, in that the 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 police are wanting to verify well what happens you know what in a sense harriet craig launches her own downfall right. over something extremely petty which is that we'll we'll cover you know her backstory in a moment when she returns from visiting with her sister she's come back to the house and and within seconds she's nitpicking every detail that uh, mm-hmm. the house staff have done wrong and she is she notices that the maid has taken down uh the number of uh the friend on you know an old piece of mail you know because the husband said hey you know if anything happens you know call me i'm going to be over at this place she doesn't recognize the number because she doesn't recognize the fact that her husband has any friends And, you know, the first thing she thinks of when she sees this number is, oh, my husband is stepping out on me. Ye of so little faith. So she calls the number, you know, demanding to find out who it belongs to. But because she has no, you know, no idea what's going on, you know, by calling this number, she's tipped off the police because they're tracing the number and that brings them to the door. If she had had one... that you know as as it is stated later on this relationship was doomed and if this didn't set it off something else would have but in this specific instance if she had just minded her own business and left that envelope alone she never would have brought the police to the house in the first place and then this whole affair would have just been oh uh, one of your one of your friends murdered his wife charming people you hang out with 
Yeah. You know, at and best, would it would have been something to needle her husband with instead of chase him away. The way I think I love how it resolves because we only get really a couple scenes with the police and and the investigation because the movie isn't really about it. It's just kind of it's all it is. You're right. Is the vehicle for this breakup, essentially. And by the end of the film, when it's when they because the police come to the house and they say is like, hey, uh, someone from this house called and um, and um and Harriet is obviously not going to let herself get involved with any of this horrid, dreadful goings-on. And so he's like, oh, no, it wasn't me. I have no idea. It must have been one of the servants. But then the police gets called back, and then the police are essentially out of the picture for the rest of the movie, and that whole thread resolves itself, which I was really glad, because it would have felt... The movie could have felt very easily overstuffed if the police had come in and like had some big, dramatic uh, climax with that. The whole point is that they were... That was all ancillary and that it was just the one little action by Harriet and this one little confrontation that led to what is the most important thing, which is Walter and Harriet realizing that there is nothing going on in here between them, or at least for Walter realizing that that is the case. And yeah, uh, why don't why and and poor Walter really because he is just the most lovely. John Bowles is just so sweet in this film. He's that adorable little mustache, and just doting and loving and completely unaware that he is in a completely toxic relationship. <laughs> yes, that it is. It, it it's definitely a gender flip in terms mm-hmm. of what the normal sort of toxic relationship would be in a 30s uh, era film and and it's and it's especially in terms of you know the the troubling way men usually behave in a Dorothy Arzner film it's such a nice you know change of pace to see you know a, a legitimately good intentioned man trying to do to to do his best and and in a sense depict what that he's what positive masculinity looks well not just positive masculinity but indirect appeasement that he Mm -hmm. i don't think he realizes it at the time because he's still you know kind of under the impression of oh yo my you know my wife has her little moods but you know he still he still he still loves her unabashedly and he wants to do all he wants to do is please her but that that is in a sense he's he's seen the way she behaves and goes through you know house staff and keeps firing people and the fact that he doesn't get to go out with his friends very often and that you know that she has chased them all away but you know he's he's put up with that so he he he's very much an appeaser you know that they that there's and you know we don't learn anything about his childhood versus everything we learn about harriet's childhood but uh you know there there have been uh authors and psychologists who talk about how if you you're in if you're if you come from a bad home life especially like uh, a, a, a messy divorce home life that it, well, no, I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, my, you know, my mother who passed away last summer uh, when she split up from my father, she was a very unpleasant woman to be around. And consequently, I spent a lot of the time appeasing her, you know, that, you know, that like, oh, I don't want to make her mad. So I'm going to, you know, try and be the peacemaker in here that, you know, if my father said something angry and she demands to know what he said, I'm going to soften it, you know, that I, that I, you know, I was I was a football between the two of them in terms of custody arrangements and such that you know, that I just wanted I wanted everybody to not be angry and you know charles uh, charles uh that he's you know he I, he's less concerned about her anger as he is just oh what what are you what what are you upset about you know everything 
we're good. I'm, you know, I have, I'm not doing any, I'm not doing anything to actively harm you. Nobody is. What? Why? Why are you always on edge? And you know, gradually having to recognize the fact that you know her her primary priority is her. Exactly. Um, and and I think the what's what's so strong about this film what what makes it stand apart for me from other films of this era and other films of this genre is that it's so it would have been so easy in the hands of a male director to make this film about Harriet as a villain and Walter as this emasculated man who needs to reassert his his place as head of household. I mean, and, and other characters like say as much in this movie It's like, come on, there is a woman of a household, but there is also a man of the household that you need to assert your, that you have dignity and all that. And it would have been so easy for this film to just go full blown, uh, conservative values. And that like, this is what happens when women take into become, try to strive for independence like this is the horror story but what i love about this film is that that not only do we see walter who at the end of the film instead of saying that looks i need to to reassert dominance's household he's like i need to make sure that i'm okay and if that means that we can't be together then so be it and also that this film doesn't ex- completely villainize um, Harriet, in that she, throughout everything that she does, that we still understand her, and that we still um, that the film is 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 giving her the time to for us to to live to live with her and to to be with her, and I think this kind of all hinges in the bit where we see because. Um, we talk uh, the 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 other Fergus Mrs. Fergus I think her name was uh, uh, Addie or Adelaide um, that um, when it when it's brought up when it's like they talk about about how Fergus snapped and killed her because she was so domineering what Walter says I think is so important in that he instead of taking the side of his buddy Fergus and saying, look, and she was, look what she did to him. How could it not happen? He's like, he's like, it doesn't seem right, but I understand, but I understand what Adelaide did because somehow Fergus failed her. And so she wanted, she went off and she wanted to find someone that she loved. And, and, um, and like, and, and that ultimately wrecked the situation but and that's that's a tragedy but she was out there for love and and it this film is a process of walter just simply recognizing that harriet does have a love and it's for this house and it's for her and it's not about um it's not about uh uh harriet being knocked down a peg it's simply about it's and walter becoming the dominant force again it's about harriet simply being realizing that this is this is a harmful behavior and it's realizing that walter um needs to go out and find someone who loves him and it's it's a humane film for all its viciousness it's it's a humane film mm-hmm. that was a long long rant <laughs> oh no no oh have you ever listened to me on this show oh yes constantly <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah i i think this is this is a if nothing else aside from the genius of dorothy arzner i believe this is a program that is devoted to the long rant yeah, it's partly because of the way we record this podcast and also because, well, it's just kind of how we talk sometimes. Yes, <laughs> it, you know, the the uh, the the thought process. Yes. Uh, uh, Harriet, you know, had among that if I was to try and, you know, describe her to a modern day viewer, I would almost describe her as an edgelord because one of the things that she does throughout the entire movie is she is constantly throwing terms and quotes back at people 
in a manner that was never intended. You know that she, right. you know that she is always repurposing something in order to favor herself. You know that you know that it's the you know that she that she'd be that she'd be one of those people on Twitter, uh, you know, trying to call somebody out and then saying, "Well, so much for the tolerant left." You know, that she, <laughs> yeah, and and that this is this is her that she 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 is a projector. You know that she that her whatever things that she is personally afraid of in her own life she you know immediately tries to accuse everyone else of being guilty of you know or that that if she is she's fearful of being alone so she automatically assumes oh well my husband must be stepping out on me why would he you know dare to have any secrets from me why would he have this number that i don't recognize why does he even need friends i'm his wife he i should he should be content with me and then when he is trying to express how content he is with her, she's like, "Oh well, I you know I want space, I want independence." You know that she is, she defines she defines herself almost entirely by you know being against something. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Is that yeah, it's never really about. Um, finding peace for herself it's always about making sure that everyone else is always in line yes um, and yeah that's that's a great way to put it and and rosalind we haven't we haven't said it I, and i don't know how rosalind russell excels she is so brilliant in this i it's it's staggering i i just have to i'm gonna list off these are the films that i've that i've reviewed in the past 10 days or so on this podcast um that I've had the pleasure of viewing. Um, we, I, for our Fossbinder podcast, I got to watch Ali Fury eats the soul with Bridget Mira. Brilliant. Then I had, um, then we had, uh, uh, the Wiseman film, uh, the last letter, which is, uh, actually a, a performance special by Wiseman. It's not a documentary, but it stars Catherine Sami in where literally the entire movie is her and her voice. And it's, astounding and then i had um for our um i did an early recording of lucrecia martel um which uh was the la mujer the headless woman la mujer sin cabeza um with um i'm blanking on the name of the actress but and then um and then we had shiva baby which i reviewed with anna for our new releases which uh stars uh uh, Rachel Sinat, and then finally this film with with uh, Rosalind Russell, and my word, five films with five dynamite <laughs> actresses at their leads. It's just, it's been a pleasure. This is what I, this is what I, I hoped for when I started this podcast. That it just like, man, one film after another of just all this amazing, amazing work, and yeah, Rosalind Russell, Chef's Kiss, perfect oh, in yeah. this role. Most people are either going to know Rosalind Russell from being in His Girl Friday or from mm -hmm. Auntie Mame. You know, yeah. And and you know she's brilliant in both of those, but I don't think there is enough love give, given to the to, to this performance. You know that it's you know that she she always kind of had issues with playing. Uh, beautiful women because she felt like it you know made her too much of a you know, like something that was un untouchable you know or unrelatable but i feel like this is the best kind of mix of the harder earthier types of roles that she was aspiring to and the very glamorous roles that she was generally given and mm -hmm. i i've been trying I don't have the work with me to, you know, to cite, you know, as a reference, but I, I remember reading that, uh, Rosalind was one of the first celebrities that, uh, mannequin manufacturers were directly modeling from. Like there's a very famous press photo of her huh. posing next to her, her duplicate. And this was back at the time when, you know, mannequins were, you know, made out of, you know, heavy plaster, you know, they weren't, you know, light and, 
you know, fiberglass like they are now. So it yeah. was a big ordeal to, to make one. And that how, in a sense, you know, that little factoid kind of, le- you know, gives extra heft to her playing a character that sees herself as an embodiment. You know, that, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, that she is... You know that she is that she has created this artificial world uh, and life for herself because she want you know that it, that her living room is always on. You know, you, you know it's it, it's it's the running joke of any family that you know, you know the living room is anything but. You know, you're ne- you know you're never allowed to actually do anything in there because you know you need it for company. You know, it has to be clean. You know, that you know one of the first comics I worked with, one of his uh, first bits was, you know, I'm going in there one day, shoes on, bottle of pop, no coaster, watch me, damn it. Um, <laughs> but that. That her living room is the showroom, and she is the show model. You know that yeah. she, you know that it, it, she would that she much like her mannequin would be in a department store window. That is what Harriet Craig sees herself like in her home. Yeah, and and it is really just a. I mean, it, it's where most of the movie takes place. This living room is just absolutely gorgeous um in this in this article by kim morgan which you pointed out which is a brilliant article that i'll put it in the description for this podcast so that everyone can go read it um but specifically i i think it's i think it's it was really neat to find out is that it was designed and this was uncredited this went uncredited uh by william haynes who was a guy who got ousted from hollywood because um he was uh, uh not so secret about his uh, homosexuality, and I just and and I I think it's awesome that that he and that he and Arsner, you know, gays stick together. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's a gorgeous living room, and it contains maybe one of the greatest movie symbols I've ever seen in that darn vase. It's 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 simply its function in the story is so perfect so structurally brilliant in that we open the film with the maid moving the vase ever so slightly he's like how dare you harriet would kill you if she knew that you moved that vase and that it tells you all you need to know about harriet and then when harriet finally comes back to the house and she goes right to the vase and just moves it a little bit because she can tell that someone moved it. And and it all pays off when after a brilliant, brilliant argument, I, I this is what I say when I say that I love 30s dialogue, Hollywood dialogue, when adapted for, it's just, it's just, it's all crackling. The argument is just, you're on the edge of your seat the entire time. And at the end of it, John Bowles just goes up to that vase picks it up and smashes it on the ground and it's i love a great cathartic moment in a movie i was just talking about this when talking about shiva baby is that it has one of the great crying scenes that i've seen in a film where at the end of just such a horrible uh, uh high pressure ordeal that you just break down in tears and in this film when she when he threw that vase on the floor i was like Yes, finally, <laughs> someone expressed their rage. Oh yeah, well, it's it's Chekhov's vase. You know, the minute yes. they talk about that thing, oh that oh that baby's going to die a violent death. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, it's yeah, no, it's it's a thing of beauty, and uh, yeah, and I and I love the way that that Walter plays it off too. Is like everyone asks, is like, did it fall? And he's like, no, I picked it up. And I threw it on the ground. <laughs> I smashed it. And everyone is just like, how? They just, no one can believe it because how could someone break the facade of this perfect house? Well, and, and you know, the, and just the, the unapologeticness, you know, behind it, you know, that uh, the, 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 the comparison that comes to mind for later generations is uh, in uh, the late 50s film uh, Mr. Roberts, where uh, uh, 
the last line of the movie is uh, Jack Lemmon going coming into uh, James Cagney's uh, shipboard office and saying, it is I, Ensign Pulver, and I just threw your stinking rubber tree plant overboard. Now, what's this malarkey about no movie tonight? You know, that he's like finally standing up to this bully of a captain on this battleship. Add that to the watch list. Um, <laughs> it's It's funny. I really, really, really enjoy this film. I, however, I, it's, it's kind of a thing when you enjoy a film so much that you don't really know how to talk about it. Um, and I, I feel that's kind of the case where it's just like, it is the thing and it works and it's hard to like go into detail. Like there are people who are smarter than me, like Kim Morgan, who have gone into detail and explained why it works. And for me, I just like, this movie's great. Y'all should watch it. Um, and and yeah, and it builds up to the end. Like after, um, after Walter's aunt has decided, I need to get out of this house. I'm sorry, but I need to leave. And after Ethel, the niece is like, I'm sorry, but you two were fighting last night, and I need to leave with my boyfriend, whom I love, and we love each other. And he came all the way to get me. And she jock blocked the boyfriend, by the way. <laughs> yes, yes. He called, and she wouldn't even you know ask if she was asleep. So it's like. <laughs> I wanted to hear from him. You, you were deli- you were standing in my way. Not right. cool. And after um, he's she's fired the maid after he has she has like her boyfriend come in and help with dinner. It's just like yeah, uh, uh, you see that she's paid in full and that she leaves immediately. Like just ruthless. Just like the everyone is just being cut off and cut off and cut off. And finally, the main maid is like, you know what? I'm leaving with with <laughs> with this woman. We're gonna travel the world together. And it's like, don't you worry about me. Um, and, and then finally at the end of the film, Walter leap just gives her the keys of the house. Is like, you, this is, this is, this is your love. You can have it. Uh, the, the line is, uh, you married a house. I'll see to it that you have it always. Oh, right. <laughs> just again, just this brute, as brutal as, as Harriet has been this whole film that, that, that it is just in it comes all right back on her um and that we're finally left with the telegram and the telegram shows up and i what i loved is i was i was so hoping that we wouldn't see the telegram like what it said like the words because i felt like we don't need to see it because we know what it is because she breaks down and we know exactly because it's set up at the beginning of the film that she's like oh no it'll be better if i'm not with my dying sister she'll probably get better without me kind of thing and we see the telegram and we see her just break because when Walter leaves, she realizes that she's going to be alone, and then she gets the telegram. I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of funny because it's the same thing that happens in Sarah and her son. Is we get a telegram knowing that your ill sister that your sister has died, um, and we just we see her break down, and and then in comes Mrs. Fraser, this woman who she is. De- to she detests how dare this other person come into my home without my permission and just be sweet and we see that and we see um harriet just be like suddenly realize that there's a chance for a connection here and and she's like oh and she just unloads she's like yes uh my sister has died and fraser's like oh i'm so sorry here's some flowers and brilliant brilliant ending of of finally it's like and then she start we and i was thinking it's like oh harriet starts talking to herself but then no we realize that she was actually trying to make a connection with miss fraser who is left and she runs to the door and we see the shot of the door close and it's this perfect ending just like you are alone and we cut to the quote in the book which was the opening credits is like those who live to themselves are generally left to themselves Ugh, morality stinger. This is just such a great movie. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, when when I first uh, saw Craig's wife a couple of years ago, uh, I made I, I compared it to uh, Gone Girl, a movie that I really dislike. 
Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll hold my vitriol on it. Suffice to say that this is the movie that that movie desperately wanted to be, you know, that it wanted, <laughs> that it wanted to create this, you know, this really horrible female character that would still, you know, to a degree elicit audience sympathy and, you know, the, the, the problem with uh, G- Gillian Flynn as she did it, and I have to put it all on her, even, you know, even though, I mean, after seeing Mank, you know, a lot of the shine is coming off of uh, Fincher's ass, too. But, <laughs> but you know, it's her screenplay. It was her book. She created this character. She's got to take the blame for it, which is that in, in Gone Girl, everything feels so glib and nihilistic and you know it wants it want it wants to have you know kind of this moralistic ending in that you know the its protagonist has you know pulled off everything that she wanted but you know she's not she's not going to be able to enjoy it and and this and craig's wife does that so much better and economically and actually elicits sympathy for its unsympathetic uh, protagonist. Yeah, I think Gone Girl is actually a really that that is a really good um, uh, double feature or comparison piece to to have. And and yeah, David Fincher, uh, did you see the photo that's been going around of because like I mean David Fincher's as far as we know not a predator but but i was just the photo went around of the golden globes uh for the that when social oh, network oh yeah the all the people and that we were got on kevin Kate. spacey and scott rudin and army hammer and like all these people are in the same picture together it's just like oh dear me can people like this movie still <laughs> kind of thing and and then there's aaron sorkin off to the side who i mean let's face it he i i i don't think we've if I don't think we've uncovered any like gross dirt on him, but if we did, it's not gonna surprise yes. me. Yes, <laughs> well, you know, he's pro- probably not evil. But as someone once said to me, when you get kicked out of your own fan community, for <laughs> then you've got a problem. And and I'll say it. I just Steve Jobs, his 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 script for Steve Jobs, the 2015 film directed by Danny Boyle. I love that screenplay. I think that movie's great. It's one of my favorite films. But I hold no affection for the ego of Aaron Sorkin anymore. And I'm just like you, you did a good thing, but I'm frankly uninterested in future projects from you. Yes. Anyway, but but Gone Girl is a is a good comparison and I think that what that film you're right is I think it's I think the film's fine. Um I think it it doesn't work as a morality tale. I don't think it ever did. I do think however that it for at least I I I find it a good like a like a decent thriller and a decent scare piece. But I think if you as 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 soon as you start to read into like the messages i think it comes off as kind of kind of icky um, uh well uh considering that its basic ethos is that uh women be crazy the mm-hmm. that the only two remotely sympathetic women in the movie one is ben affleck's sister who right. has no boyfriend and whose sole function is to be his cheerleader, that she basically has no fucking life beyond him, Mm -hmm. and the very manly female detective. Right. Who, you know, says that, you know, her relationship fell apart because of work. So it's like the two least feminine women in the movie are the only good women. Everybody else has got the crazy eye wanting Ben Affleck to die. Yeah, I mean, and I guess there's there there could be some um, interpretation in there, I guess, about like how that. Yeah, that, I know it's supposed to be satirical. I know it's supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, like there's there's something that they're supposed to say about like hetero, like the 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 norms, like the the conservative values, like it's all it all leads to craziness and and destruction and all that stuff, but. 
but you're right. This film just does it so much better. It's because it is a film about how traditional marriage is a trap and how that can lead people to be make a lot of bad decisions. However, this movie is humane. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And that and it is it is of a different period where, yes, women's options were very limited. You know, let's go back to when we first talked about Dance Girl Dance and that you know, Lucille Ball's character is this mercenary who is, you know, do, you know, doing not so nice things and leaving, you know, her friends in the dust. But these these are the options that she's been left with, that she's right. either going to have to be uh, subordinate to a man or she's going to get her own financial independence by fleecing them for all they've got. And yeah. this is roughly in that league where, you know, I mean, marriage as emancipation that, you know, that's Orwell speak for you <laughs> uh, uh, that like, no, I'm, I'm marrying this guy because I want financial security and, you know, to, and to be able to, but as long, but I found someone who will let me bigfoot him as much as possible and just keep paying all the bills. Right. Although yeah. uh, my under, I think my understanding is that even though her parents were not rich, she's you know clearly got some sort of you know small fortune from them because of the fact that you know he leaves you know he leaves her at the end, but you know she's not going to be destitute. Right. Yeah. I mean, she does say in that in that scene on the train is like that I I I didn't have any special trade. I had no um, education and I wasn't like and my family wasn't inordinately wealthy. So if I wanted to have the life I wanted, it was going to have to be thanks to working with working it out with some guy. And I and I and yeah, and this this film is can uh, the the quote I was thinking of throughout the entire film was uh, uh, Florence Pugh in Little Women in her brilliant speech about marriage in in this day and age, which is you know the past. Um, <laughs> that marriage is for women; it's an economic transaction, um, and and this film shows and the the horrors of that. Um, but it but it does so without ever letting any of without ever demonizing any of its characters or any of its types of characters well there there's that there's that moment where uh the, the main maid is uh you know talking derisively about you know the the you know Fergus and his wife you know referring to their life of you know cocktails and Mm-hmm. You know, meals at all hours and dirty oil paintings. <laughs> dirty just, oil paintings. <laughs> so it's just like you say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't love a good dirty oil painting? <laughs> or, or and you know, uh, the, all those little uh, uh, is this is one of those movies I wish got quoted more. Like like the fact that uh, when uh, just before the aunt finally decides she's leaving, uh, that when Harriet is, you know, trying to, you know, turn her words back on her, you know, when she, you know, trying to win an argument and you're saying, oh, do you have an opinion? It's like, it's not an opinion I have. It's you I have. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. This, I, I, I want to go back to and rewatch the main argument scene just so I can write down some great lines. Um... Yeah. That, that, because that, that's a thing that Kim points out is that, you know, there, there's a few moments where Harriet gets out some zingers and like, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're a Harriton, but damn, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah. Point take point mm-hmm. to you. And yeah. And there's a and 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 for me, the most relatable moment in the film was a moment with Harriet. And it's when the guy scrapes up the floor and I'm just like, oh, no, the floor, because <laughs> like you see a shot of it and it it's it's bad like that floor got scraped up and yeah. and, and but but yeah but then but then we see the guy being like carrying like the great shot of him carrying the thing out the door just completely bent over and it's just like yeah this the oppression is literal this is there is no subtext here yeah do, do, uh, you know like as as some of 
you know, as older people always love to say to you, uh, do you own your possessions or do your possessions own you? Right. I, yeah. You know, like, yeah, I, I when when the, the when the chest scrapes the floor, I'm like, eh, but <laughs> but I'm also thinking you're loaded. You can afford to get that floor exactly. repaired. Yeah. You know, it's what you know, and that chest is heavy. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, give yeah. give people a break, uh, and <laughs> and, let, and let us and let us also not forget that we never see it, but there is a reference to the fact that Walter has his own room. Oh yeah, we never see his room. <laughs> yeah, so Walter doesn't even get to sleep with his wife. <laughs> yeah, and, and and that when he is in her room, he can't even sit on the duvet. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's like he'll mess it up. Oh, and don't sit on the armrests of chairs. How dare you? Um, <laughs> yeah, no. The, I think what this movie did for me more than anything else was show me uh, the potential of the worst version of myself because I fear that I get like this sometimes when it comes to things. And, and I was just like, Oh yes, a reminder. Don't be like this, please. Um, anyway, but yeah, this, I, I would say, I'd still say that my favorite film of Dorothy Arzner's is get your man. I think the charm in that is just off the charts. And, and yeah, even though it's incomplete, I, I still think that that's my favorite of, of her work. And, but after that, it's it's like this and Dance Girl Dance. Um, but but yeah, no, this is this is a great movie. It's so great we talked for like a whole hour about it. <laughs> uh, even though I said that I didn't really have much to say about it. Uh, but yeah, this is lovely film. Go read the article by Kim Morgan. Go watch the movie. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, this is just this is great. This was lovely. Uh, uh, if I if I I would make one more uh, recommendation as kind of a spiritual film to watch if you were going to uh, double it up, um, I I would highly recommend watching uh, Craig's Wife with the Swimmer with Burt Lancaster. Okay, with, because in a sense it is also about uh, a character, an affluent character who has defined themselves by appearances and it is also a movie of attrition where little by little this character you know literally loses everything okay okay um so i guess that kind of wraps up uh our discussion uh this week um so going forward, this podcast, this specific series might be taking a bit of a break because we've kind of run out of readily available films. Um, from here on out, it's going to start to go reaching out for physical media that is not as easy to find. And so this podcast might be taking a bit of a break, but we will, rest assured, complete this. Um, we will get through every single Dorothy Arzner film that is available some way, somehow. And it might take a couple months to do that um, before we come back and start up again. But um, but I, I want to make that promise that we will be finishing it and it will be with Mark. And yeah, and so just wanted to give that update. So that's that that's the update. And who knows, we might do some uh, uh, just some other films um, in between just to just to fill the space. So um, but with that, um, I kind of wraps up. Uh, my voice is starting to go. So, uh, uh, Mark, why don't why don't you plug yourself? OK, uh, I'm on Twitter at T.H.E. underscore H.O.Y.K., the phonetic pronunciation of my name um i'm constant i'm constantly uh retweeting uh uh people that i find interesting and important along with uh you know whatever uh, kooky things come into my head um <laughs> by the time this episode drops uh you'll be able to uh see my uh schmodown match against uh tv star griffin newman or as he bills himself in the schmodown uh griffy nooms you know i uh, also, by the time uh, this episode drops, you'll be able to see the uh, episode of Tier Ranker Fights that uh, I appeared on, where uh, we discuss the uh, what we think are the best horror films of the knots. And, the, and 
I think that covers it for this installment. All right. Um, yeah. No, I I watched last night. I I, I watched your 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 match with uh, Griffin Newman, and uh, uh, yeah, Griffin. He's he's got quite the persona. I was not expecting that. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, yeah, I have to, I have to be honest. Um, I, I knew that he had a resume. I did not know it was quite as August as it is. But you know, part of, you know, part of that is me in my heel persona, just no selling, uh, the character, his character, and, but yeah. I feel like I, fa- I found a good uh, workaround to both, uh, you know. A- acknowledge his skill without losing face yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah and, and he definitely fits within the finstock exchange i can say that much <laughs> he seems to have like taken the 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 bobby gucci personality and just morphed it into his own his own extrapolation on it but uh yeah it was a fun match um what can you tell me anything about that mask that you have behind you <laughs> in that <laughs> like oh Honestly, like, did you get that for this, or did you just have that lying around? And if so, why? <laughs> uh, you know, um, I, 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 I want to say that it's it's just something that um, my my mother used to uh, manage an apartment house that my grandparents lived in, and I feel like that mask was just something one of the other tenants left behind, and she <laughs> stuck it in the basement and. When I went, when I w- uh, from this house in Cincinnati, when I was deciding, okay, well, we're going to be filming uh, the Schmodown remotely, and like, oh my goodness, I-, I have a basement, I have a lair, I can, I can make it look, you know, scary and dramatic, and oh, that's perfect, uh, you know, it, it's going, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna make me look like a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, the, that that is the vibe. I'm really. If you meet me, I can be mercurial, but I'm a very sweet individual. I, I I understand if you cross the street to get away from me. I have a resting murder face, but please know I, I am a benign individual. He's a sweetie. Uh, but, yeah. All right. So, yeah. Go watch that all if you haven't already. But uh, as for me, you can find me Twitter, Letterboxd, at Blue Gray Closet. Uh, if you're listening to this, you know you're you're a patron thank you so much for for supporting this um and yeah yeah we i don't know if we'd be doing this without you so yeah thank you thank you very much um you're 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 getting all the bonus content congratulations i don't i don't know i'm i'm i've been podcasting all day um i've i've i'm 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 running out of steam but yeah just just thank you thank you very much um i'm again like i said i'm just i'm so enjoying all of the rides that i'm going on with 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 the screen's margins and and if you're also enjoying the rides then please share us just uh shout us out i know that bibs i have to give him props he's shouting us out so much and it's just it's so thankful like he'll just he'll just message me words of encouragement which are just like oh my word the guy that guy is a treasure um but uh but yeah uh thank you very much for listening and uh because yeah we know that there's a poll these days when it comes to films to focus only on the big and mainstream stuff so thanks for spending time with us today here on the margins good night uh-huh.